0: welcome to the bitewing games podcast i am your host nick murray and i'm joined today by kyle spackman who is also a member of bitewing games today we are going to be talking about our hot 10 meaning the 10 things we are feeling hottest about in the board game industry we're also going to take this moment this podcast episode moment to introduce ourselves individually and bitewing games kind of give you a feel for why we exist and why we're here to enhance this hobby for you um and we're also after we go over our hot 10 we'll go into some of our plans our exciting plans for bitewing games um what we intend to do over the course of 2021 and beyond but enough with all this preview talk let's get this show on the road So, Kyle, how are you doing this evening? Doing very well. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Getting pumped about board games. Um, We are recording this just hot off the heels of Christmas, and we were talking a little bit about some of the new games that we got. Um, Had a good time enjoying. But, um, yeah, before we get into the topics today let's take a chance to introduce ourselves. So Kyle, why don't you go first and, and share with us, why why are you here? Why are you part of ByteWing Games? And why do you love this hobby?
1: I think board games in general are just such a fun hobby. It's a chance for people to get together and play games together. Um, and rather than sitting around watching TV where you have minimal interaction, or playing video games, where maybe you have an interaction with someone not in the room or something. I just feel like that bond that you have pushing pieces around a board is just something awesome. That months down the road, you can be like, "Do you remember that one time you took this piece from me and I was so mad?" And I just think the, the memories that are formed and and the fun bonds that you can that you can make are just phenomenal.
0: Totally, yeah. I've I've been a, a gamer my whole life, but I kind of grew up on Nintendo games. So, it was mostly solo or doing Smash Bros with the buddies, uh, that kind of thing. But you and I um, were both kind of on the same educational path. We went to Utah State University, we were in the pre-dental program. And then after that, we both ended up at Ohio State University, the Ohio State University for dental school. And uh, you were a year ahead of me. And that drove me into the board game hobby personally, because. Um, talking about teeth all day, every day for four straight years uh, in, a, in a building with very few windows where everybody wears gray and uh, can get a little bit uh, grinding, depressing sometimes. That kind of uh, drove me to more creative and, and entertaining outlets to kind of help bring balance to my life. And luckily, we moved into a, a neighborhood that had a lot of grad students, professional students. Um, couples kind of in the same situation as my wife and I so we we started playing tons more board games in that environment and that kind of spurred it for us as well but I agree with you Uh, gaming is a great way to interact with others Um, so do you want to do want to talk about how bite wing games came about and what that name's all about
1: yeah we had Nick and I here had discussed for a while about creating games and we play tested each other's games a little bit and just thought this is a lot of fun and I feel like we have some fun unique perspectives that we could add um, and we talked for a while about since we were both dentists and, uh, and had that background together we wanted to somehow incorporate that and the name Bitewing really stood out to me that's a type of x-ray that we use in dentistry and it helps us to be able to see right in between the teeth and maybe see what your eyes can't see and get a different perspective on things. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. That's kind of what we're trying to do is bring a fresh new perspective, maybe something different than what you'd normally see. And that's what we wanted to do with our games is create a, a new perspective and something new and different.
0: Yeah, I would definitely say we're, we are not your stereotypical hobbyist board gamers. Um, I know that there are themes out there that are mega popular for very good reasons. Uh, fantasy themes, star Wars games, um, miniatures, all those kinds of things. But for me personally, I think, I think it's kind of similar for you. Um, while those things are like cool and interesting, I can appreciate them from a distance. Um, to me, they're, they're almost a turn off in comparison to a game like bus by splatter, where it's like, yeah, you're just building out a bus route, but then I see how cutthroat and nasty it is. And I'm like, Ooh, this, this gets me excited. Or, (laughs) you know, like when I saw when I first saw Wingspan, um, I thought it was just so cool that like, um, Elizabeth Hargrave was such a big fan of birds. And, um, she was like, I'm going to make a a game about birds. And you can, you can tell from, um, know every aspect of the design just her passion for that topic and it's kind of unconventional in the board gaming industry that's why it kind of caught on fire i feel and it it, but it has a wide appeal to people in general you know you look at a, a pretty bird and it's hard not to appreciate it for even just a moment and so you know those kind of like unique themes or quirky themes that that are kind of off the beaten path of the the hobbyist you know gaming world uh really appeal to me personally and so giving giving that fresh perspective as Bitewing wing games um, kind of goes along with those lines.
1: Yeah, definitely agree. And that's going to be on my list here as we, as we discuss our hot 10, that's one of the things I'll mention and talk a little bit more about. So that's great.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, as, as creative people as well, we, we really appreciate all of the, the, like I said, the passion that designers, publishers, artists put into each project, making them not only beautiful and fun to, to touch and to handle and, and manipulate on the board, on the table, but also to think about and, and to kind of puzzle through and as a way to interact with others. And that I don't know, maybe there's something about drilling on teeth and talking about teeth all day, but, but we get this hunger to create games as well. So like Kyle has mentioned, we've been kind of exploring design as well for several years. And we have a, a handful of designs we've been working on for a while that we're feeling really good about publishing. And so um, we, we're getting excited because we're planning to start our own publishing company. Um, but this podcast and our website, our blog, Kyle has some awesome, clean, crisp, succinct YouTube videos as well um those are content of you know just born out of our passion for the hobbies gaming world as a way of giving back to the community um but hopefully along the way we'll find people who um you know share similar tastes and interests to us and when we introduce start to introduce our own games and designs um if those strike your fancy then then we'd be excited to have you join us along the way so let's move on to our hot 10. These are our 10 current hottest things in the board game industry that we're just get really excited about. Um, And I told Kyle before we uh, started this podcast, as we were thinking about our lists um, that this really can be anything you want, just like on board game geek, there's, there's kind of in your own profile, there's a hot 10 list that you can create and that's open to specific games, genres, um, publishers, designers, artists, um, really anything board game related that gets you excited and that you are currently hot on. So without further ado, let's jump into our hot 10 of board games. So Kyle, why don't you start us off with number 10?
1: Yeah, I'll start off and I don't have these in any particular order, but um, just like we talked about, maybe what I'd list is my number 10 is lighthearted themes, I think so many people have seen orcs and wizards and fantasy and space so many times. And if I show it to my family or lots of friends who aren't deep into the board game hobby, they'll be like, this game looks nerdy, I don't want to play it. But if I show them a game about national parks, about flying a hot air balloon, something like that, that's a game that they instantly are like, oh, this seems kind of interesting and fascinating. So I feel like it, it bridges that gap between gamers and not gamers a little bit more than these deep common fantasy or space themes.
0: Yeah, it's kind of um, a bummer that uh, fantasy or space you know, sci-fi themes kind of have this sometimes a negative connotation with the mass public. But I think it's improved a lot over the past decade or so with things like Marvel and Star Wars um, and Lord of the Rings, um, freaking awesome book and movie trilogy, kind of being brought to the masses and, and showing people like, hey, this is actually a really cool and interesting thing. But you're right, there's still that that, um, you know, not everybody's into that. And if you if you plop down a Gloomhaven-like theme for just a casual board gamer, it's usually an instant turnoff. So uh, I agree. Uh, I really do like the unique themes out there. Um, for my number 10, I, I did kind of put these in order a bit. Um, not exactly, but um, my number 10 has kind of an interesting backstory to it. So I recently sold Scythe, which was actually my favorite board game uh, for like a solid year or so. It was my number one game, and I just got rid of it with the legendary box and almost all the expansions in it. And it had a broken token insert and metal coins and the realistic resource upgrades. Pretty much everything except for one expansion was in there. And I played it about 15 times, Um, had a blast with it. I would definitely recommend it to people who haven't tried it. It's a great kind of Euro engine builder with a a nice war mech vibe to it. Very beautiful art. We actually have some pieces of art in our home. Funny enough, my wife's not a fan of the game scythe, but she likes the art. And so she uh, supported getting some artwork. But anyways, We no longer have the game, um, because after about 15 plays, uh, those last few plays, I realized like, you know what, this thing is worth quite a bit of money, which I could put towards another game that I'm even more excited about. And to some people, that's probably blasphemy. Um, But I'm kind of an explorer in the industry. I like to try many different things. So I did sell it, and I put it towards Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy, um, which had a a very entertaining review recently from shut up and sit down. It is a war game, an Epic war game, which I haven't played like twilight Imperium or any of those massive mega games um, that take an entire day of your life away. And you have to plan it out months in advance with a big number of people. Um, The reason Eclipse appealed to me is because it looked like it it kind of streamlined that whole experience. It has these slick gamer uh, game trays uh, setups for all the players And it's not quite as long. You can play it and enjoy it with any player count two to I think six is the count. And we played half of a game of it. We didn't even play an entire game because it it is still pretty long. And uh, unfortunately, one of the people we were playing it with was called into work. And so that was kind of a bummer. But we played like half the game and it was super fun. Um, It's got like an engine builder Euro vibe to it, but mixed with an epic war feel. So I'm very excited to actually play a full game of that. Hopefully sometime soon. That's my number 10 eclipse second down for the galaxy. Kyle, what's your number nine?
1: Yeah, that's, that's exciting that you found another game and it's, it is hard to get rid of an old game, especially a game like side. That is really good, but yeah, um, but very- fortunately
0: enough people, I feel like own side that, you know, when I'm, when I'm hung you know, hungry to play it again,
1: I can find somebody for sure. Um, Cause it is a solid game by me selling it (laughs) i think that's awesome well somewhat going along with that my number nine is playtime. i do love games and i i don't mind playing a game that's two two and a half hours but i've more and more just found myself with young kids with family with just the scenario i'm in right now a game that plays in under 60 minutes or 60 minutes maybe up to 90 minutes is kind of my sweet spot right now where I don't mind playing a game like side that is going to take me 90 to 120 minutes, but I really enjoy the games that I can get out and put away within an hour. So, and I, I think that for me is something that for my stage of life is, is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I recently
0: wrote a blog post. I don't know if we've published it yet about downtime and, um, or sorry, playtime. Like how long is the game? And we're actually expecting our second child, a daughter, two days from this recording, which is very exciting. Um, but, yeah, I can see that really transforming my uh, free time, eating up a little bit more of it. Um, we're very excited for the child. It will also be sad to, uh, to lose some free time. but <laughs> So it's, it's bittersweet. But, uh, no, I'm pumped. Um, and, yeah, shorter games that pack a big punch are always appreciated yeah um speaking of which my number nine is crokinole um which is a very pretty quick game that packs a punch um the reason it is on my hot 10 list currently well it's probably always you know eternally on my hot 10 list um it's one of my favorite games of all time and i received it actually i think it was last christmas um so not this year previous year that was my one um gift i requested from santa claus and uh we've played it probably almost 60 times now and that's like the full you know you're going to 100 points games um with all kinds of people um a lot more so before the pandemic obviously after that's been mostly my wife and i um or close family members but We've made it a, a Christmas tradition to host a Crokinole tournament, which obviously didn't happen this Christmas. It was just between my wife and I, but we had a great time. And uh, I I don't know, it's just so slick and sexy and fun. If you get a good Crokinole board where the discs just slide, just glide and you like um, almost athletic or, or skill-based games where you can um, improve over time, but it also has a a little hint of strategy there, then I definitely recommend you seek out the opportunity to play Crokinole. It's a, it's a big investment up front, but it's one that I look forward to, you know, smashing my grandkids at decades from now in our yearly Christmas Crokinole tournament.
1: I played it one time just before the pandemic hit at a convention and I don't like dexterity games generally. I'm just not a big fan. But I really, really enjoyed that because it, it almost seemed like a perfect merging of board games and sports coming together, which I love both of them, um, even though generally I don't love dexterity games. That one was amazing.
0: Yeah. And I guess the, the one downside to, to loving Crokinole so much is that it's so thus far, it's ruined all other flicking games for me. We've, we've played <laughs> um, Catacombs since then. We've played Flick 'em Up. And I hated those games just because Crokinole is just so much cleaner and easier to <laughs> set up and just get into, straight into the fun. And those games just take so much work to set up and, and get going. And they eat up so much more time. And then it's just not as satisfying to flick the little pieces as, as it is a Crokinole disc. So it is a spoiler a bit for me, but a good spoiler. Um, so Kyle, what is your number eight?
1: My number eight is the game Calico, and I actually haven't played the physical copy of it. I just played it on Tabletop Simulator online, I believe. Oh, nice. And I really, really enjoyed it. I just had some friends tell me that they got it, and I don't want to seem too desperate, but I'm like, can we get together? If not, can I borrow your game? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I just really enjoyed the game, and then again, I don't like cat games. I'm just not a big cat person in general, so it's never been a a theme that's really interesting me but i played that game i was like this game's a lot of fun and it's for me that sweet spot where we talked about the theme and the timing it just it met a lot of my check marks i guess that i like to check off of a good good fun game
0: yeah, i remember you and i were, were keeping an eye on the the kickstarter when the project was um ongoing or the campaign i mean and uh, both of us were kind of like well maybe not but then i watched uh rado run through of it and i was like oh this game is like very thinky puzzly and that kind of convinced me to um back it and yeah we, we played it several times and, and definitely enjoyed it um and that's funny that, that you came around to it too <laughs> good stuff all right, your number eight my number eight is cole worley a uh very popular modern game designer um Best known for Root from Leader Games, the highly asymmetric and deceptively whimsical and kind of cute um, Woodland Creature war game, Um, but also designer of PAX Premier 2nd Edition. And these two games happen to be in my top 10 games of all time. So any designer who who lands one game in my top 10 favorite games deserves a, uh, a pat on the back. From me, but he's got two of them <laughs> and his next game is right around the corner oath chronicles of empire and exile. I am super jazzed for that. That's definitely my most anticipated game of 2021. Um, as well as he's doing a second edition for John company, which seems kind of similar to PAX premier and that there's kind of a political influence going on between the players, shared incentives, um, probably negotiation and backstabbing. And I'm all for that. These games are very, um heavy they cold designs games that that are not good for one night flings at all um you know and like root is painful to teach because you're teaching like you know four people are playing you're teaching like four and a half games because <laughs> the core game is pretty straightforward but the individual factions are, just go on and on and people have to understand how each one works on its own for the game to really work super well so it's a pain to teach but to play these games i'm, I'm just like in zen mode honestly <laughs> so yeah i'm i'm very excited about what cole is continuing to cook up and uh so he's my number 8
1: perfect yeah that'll be exciting to see what the games look like right when they hit um well my number 7 going along with what i had just talked about was with calico that's a, a tile placement game i've really been into games where you lay tiles i just backed two on kickstarter recently one of them streets and another cascadia where i just love the idea of finding unique ways to lay tiles and get combinations of points depending on where and how and what tokens you have there i think it's it's a very open market almost where there's so many fun and different things you can do you aren't really boxed into one certain way so I really love those games.
0: Yeah, I've gotten really into tiling games recently as well. A um, bit of a spoiler for later in this list, but Reiner Knizia is definitely my favorite um, tiling designer. His are more um, strategic, thinky, like, uh, you know, there's a central board, you're laying down tiles that affects, you know, has repercussions throughout the rest of the game for everybody. Um, but I do also like kind of the building your own tiles up Um, polyomino games gotten really into those recently Um, something satisfying about building up this uh, sprawling tile
1: layout yes there is (laughs)
0: Um, my number seven and so I have a lot of designers like Cole Worley but my number seven is actually an artist Ian O'Toole Um, I put him on this list because he's just been killing it recently I kind of jotted down some of his more recent he uh, illustrates, but he also does graphic design. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to uh, presentation and board games. And his more recent uh, projects include the Iron Rail series from Capstone Games. So that's Irish Gage and Ride the Rails. Those are two freaking gorgeous boxes. And the the boards work super well for kind of helping to streamline the experience. Pipeline. Pipeline. Um, I, I never would have guessed that that oil could be made into an attractive or sleek theme, but Ian O'Toole pulled it off with Pipeline. Um, it's very cool box art, as well as just the way the tiles come together and the way the boards are laid out. Age of Steam, Deluxe Edition. Um, again, very nice box art, and the game works flawlessly as far as graphic design goes. Stevenson's Rocket, another... Uh, it's actually kind of a tiling game, but it's a train game from Reiner Kinesia And the most recent version of it from Grail Games was done by Ian O'Toole. And he gives it a very, it's, it's a game about um, kind of the first steam engines in Great Britain, I believe. And uh, he gives it a very uh, thematic, uh, time-appropriate vibe to, to the whole look of the game. And, and I really appreciate that. Um, I didn't know this one un- until I looked it up Unmatched Cobble and Fog. So, Mondo, I think it's Mondo, is their name, did the, uh, well, they, they work with restoration games on doing all the art, but he did Cobble and Fog. And it's, you know, all those games, um, those packs look really good, the card art and everything. And then Rococo Deluxe Edition, I actually just blew my Christmas gift cards on this game. We haven't played it yet, but it looks very sleek. And then finally, he is, he's on my hit list, uh, Kyle, for Balloon Jockeys. I'm working on a hot air balloon game. And if you think back to all of the games I just mentioned, they're mostly train games. But um, he's very good at doing like a game with a map, such as putting down train tokens and tiles on like a grid, but also making a really sexy uh, box art that either relates to a time period or to a landscape like the Iron Rail series. So he just seems like a perfect match for a hot air balloon game. So I, I'm almost at the point where I will refuse to make this game. Unless Ian O'Toole <laughs> is the one to illustrate and do, and do the graphic design for it. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is beautiful artwork. And I think there's some great games out there with terrible artwork that lots of people will never pick up. There's some really good games with, or some, sorry, some terrible games with great artwork that people will pick up and never play again. But finding that sweet spot, it sounds like Ian O'Toole's done a lot of good games, great artwork. Um, so I think finding that perfect artist is great.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't see him being uh, uh, on the affordable end of the uh, artist and graphic design spectrum, especially for somebody who recently came out of uh, grad school with all the student <laughs> loans. But he's going to be worth it. And uh, he's, he's going to be my guy. So Ian, if you are listening to this, we're coming for you. Um, and that's my number seven, you know too All
1: right, my number six is I'm gonna mention a specific game, runestones, and not necessarily just that game. I do really appreciate that game, but I just it's to me it's more like the idea of like underdogs, and so runestones I think is a is a really good game. Um, it's a deck building game where you're doing a few different things and, and you're collecting things, but I just think there's so many good games out there that don't make the top 100 on board game geek and that doesn't mean that it's not a good game it doesn't mean it's not worth checking out and just because it's on the top 100 doesn't mean you should check it out um but but runestones is one that i played and i really enjoyed and i just think it's for me again that sweet spot of playtime and everything like that it's it's a, a really good solid game
0: yeah, and I didn't realize you you taught me this game. I didn't realize when we played it that this is the same designer as Istanbul, which I'm a big fan of. And yeah, he he cranks out a solid design. Like anybody who enjoys a good deck builder with resource management and conversion, yeah. I would say. Um, this kind of has definitely some interesting twists to it. It wasn't my personal favorite deck builder, but that's more, um, it's me not you kind of thing, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> just my personal taste. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a good pick. Um, my number six is Capstone Games, the publisher, this is my favorite publisher, I've decided, uh, because I've played and or own about 10 of their games. And this is just from the games they've released since 2018. I was looking at it. And all of them that I've played or own, I've loved. And so any publisher who's on that kind of hot streak, at least for me personally, um, deserves a shout out. Um, From the Estates, which is a a vicious, but kind of lighthearted auctioning game, all the way up through, you know, games like Pipeline or from this past year, Curious Cargo and New York Zoo. And I'm super pumped for whenever it shows up, uh, ReNature from the designers of Azul and El Grande Um, capstone has been killing it recently. And they're kind of the ones I, I pay attention to and I take note of what are they doing with their designs, with their publication, with their marketing, as far as, you know, you know, who, who should we take notes on when we start our own publishing company, they've done a killer job uh, with their, their lineup. And I guess whoever, whoever is, uh, Picking these games out from the probably the millions of options that designers are presenting them, they're doing a killer job. Have you played any Capstone games?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember okay. if I have or not.
0: Watergate's um, be another one that's fairly popular. I don't know. We'll have to maybe get yeah, you I'll into have some to, of
1: these. Have to find a list of them. There's there's a lot of games out there, and I always feel overwhelmed about which ones to get to the table and how to find access to them to get them to the table oh
0: totally yeah but they're ones that uh, they're at the point where anything they announce i'm like my my fingers hovering over the pre-order button because they've just been (laughs) they've done so good with their releases uh, at least for my preferences they're not afraid to be a little bit mean in their games but it's not like take that you know slap you mean and then everybody laughs and then it's just like well that wasn't fun for half half the people it's more like strategic like kind of cutthroat nasty and i don't know people seem to enjoy it whether you're winning or losing at least yeah in general so that's capstone games my number six
1: for my number five is multi-use cards or resources or something in a game um kind of jumping back to runestones they they have that in that game and i really appreciate that there's a card that doesn't just serve one function this is the one thing it does but it can buy you more cards or you can activate the cards to get different resources or gems a uh, point salad does something similar a little different but the backs of the cards give you objectives and the front of the cards are actually your resources or the ingredients in the salad and i just love when a game can rather than adding more components and more chips and more tokens and more meeple, if they can consolidate and just make good use of the stuff that they have, I really appreciate that.
0: Totally. Yeah. I can. There's so many games that, that use cards in unique and interesting ways, whether it's just like, instead of, you know, a card that goes into your hand, that's usually sometimes worthless. Maybe it's like, well, I could use this and it might benefit me or I could save it and it's worth a point at the end of the game. Or um, Fort is one that comes to mind where it's a deck builder And you have, uh, I believe, four cards in your hand, four or five cards in your hand um, as play goes around. But if somebody leads with a suit that has a public action on it that I would like to benefit from, then I can discard a matching suit to uh, follow that action. Um, But then I have to decide like that that card has uh, a different public action and a different private action on it. And do I want to save that for my own turn and my own benefit, or do I want to use it during someone else's turn? So I love, I love, I don't know cards that have suits as well as abilities um, like you're saying or fronts and backs or different uses makes it a very interesting um, hand management. Yeah. I
1: just love that. You don't feel like you got stuck with a card. That's no good. If it has multiple purposes, maybe one of the other purposes are useful to you if one of them isn't. Yeah. That's a great way to kind of mitigate
0: um, the old school form of like, well, you didn't roll or draw what you wanted and tough luck, pal. Yeah. So, um. Good choice. My number five is another designer, Martin Wallace. He's the designer of Brass Birmingham, which is in my top five games of all time. This is kind of a, a meaty Euro that's very interactive. Um, Age of Steam kind of has a similar vibe in, in that it's it's meaty, it's interactive, it's kind of cutthroat and nasty. These are two pretty popular classic games that that I've gotten into I guess more recently. I, I wasn't around for when they first caught on fire. But um, they've become two of my all-time favorite games. And I'm also excited about Anno 1800, which is based on a, a video game from Ubisoft. And I never played the video game. I honestly don't really care that much about the origins of the theme or whatever. I think, I think it has a lot of fans to it. But I'm interested because... Uh, it's from Martin Wallace, which he's done a lot of games that, that maybe weren't uh, great designs or at least widely loved. But this one has a positive buzz around it just from releasing in Germany. So now I'm like, ooh, is it is it another great Wallace game? But <laughs> in the meantime, I'm enjoying Brass Birmingham and Age of Steam. That is my number five, Martin Wallace.
1: I think that's awesome to pick up old games and, and have them be new for you. And Well, my number four that I'll mention is I love... Good reviews, be it YouTube reviews or online blogs or things. Uh, A few that come to mind. Number one is Rodney Smith with his watch it played videos. I just love that if I need, if I want to know, like, hey, how do you play this game? If I'm looking into a game and want to know if it's for me, I can watch his video and I know what I'm going to get. He's so consistent and I just, I know exactly what it is I'm going to get there. Another review that I love, and it's, it's a smaller group, but they're called Be Bold Games. And every time that there's a Kickstarter and they have a review, there's the very first one I'll watch because I always love the quality and it's it's fun, but it's not annoying fun. Uh, it's just a good entertaining and informative source of information. So in general, good reviews, especially those two, Rodney Smith and Be Bold Games. Yeah, those
0: are some great shout outs. Um, Rodney almost spoiled me. at I know at one point, I think I acquired a couple of games that he had made videos for. And so instead of reading the rules, I, uh, I watched his videos and I was like oh my gosh this is just so much easier to learn how to play the game and then like the next time I, I had to read the rules for a game and there wasn't a video for it I was just like well now I, I don't even want to read the rules <laughs> I don't even want to learn how to play this game he's just so good and crisp at making a video and You're- I've seen
1: I'm oh, sorry go ahead I was just going to say you're better than me that you seem disappointed. I almost seem angry where I'm like, Rodney, are you <laughs> kidding me? Why haven't you done this video yet? Come on. I'm killing
0: us. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's a good um, shout out. Actually. I didn't think to to add content creators on here, but I, I might piggyback on yours. My, my current favorites are shut up and sit down. Um, no pun included. And so very wrong about games because they, they not only offer like pretty entertaining videos, um that aren't just reviews and insights into like why they love or loathe the game so much but um they they make it entertaining to watch along the way which i appreciate and um they also have great podcasts um which makes my commutes a lot more interesting and it it puts a lot more games on my radar for better for worse (laughs) that that i get hungry to try out so yeah content creators thank you for uh contributing and helping us discover all these great
1: games We salute you. (laughs)
0: Uh, My number four is Paolo Mori. So Paolo has been killing it recently, at least at our table, um, cranking out some of my favorite new-to-me games. Um, The game I asked for this Christmas was actually Dogs of War, and that was published in 2014 by uh, Simon Come on. And they've kind of just left it by the wayside since then so to get a copy of this it's like twice as much as what it should be and so it's always kind of just taunted me from the uh the fringe of the internet shopping spaces and I finally told my wife like hey if you give me this for Christmas I can't seem to get it for myself I'll probably really love it and I do it's it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's a cool little tug of war um kind of worker placement game um with Actually, they, they made some really killer decisions with the production of this. Like, even though it's way overproduced with the miniatures, they all have uh, unique, kind of flamboyant, bombastic hats. <laughs> so hats are are kind of just a I don't know personality trait of Dogs of War. Um, but Blitzkrieg, if you are stuck on your own or with only one other person to play with, is basically a two-player version of this game, and I own and love both of them. So. Paolo knows how to make an, an amazing tug of war game. And then Ethnos has, has been on my, you know, top gateway games, you know, personal favorites of all time for quite a while now. Um, I just love this. It's kind of similar to ticket to ride and it's a very family friendly game, although it doesn't look the part. And we've, we've talked about this a bit. You you're a fan of Ethnos
1: as well. Yeah, I absolutely love Ethnos. I think it's a phenomenal game. I, I of course, would maybe change one or two things about it, but I think it's a phenomenal game. He also did Libertalia, which I like quite a bit. And I, I thought that was a very interesting game with a few different twists and things than I'd seen in other games. So here's here's something
0: that I've been thinking, like I've been saving this in my back pocket for a long time now. And if, if a listener steals this out from underneath us, I'll be kind of mad. But if you do a good job with it, then I will probably won't be too disappointed. But Dogs of War and Ethnos are two games that I would... Like, serious, like once we have, a, if we have a publishing company up and running, going strong within a year or two, um, I would be reaching out to Paolo Mori and asking him like, hey, can we do updated versions of either of these designs? Are they, you know, open for business kind of thing? Because um, they would both, I think, benefit from an update and and kind of a revival to to people who aren't as familiar with them. They are both amazing games.
1: Yeah, don't steal our idea though. <laughs> All right, my number three is dice manipulation. I, I typically don't love dice games. I don't love the, the luck of rolling the dice, but games where you can roll the dice and manipulate them and do things with them, I just think are phenomenal. The number one that comes to mind for me is role player. I've really been enjoying that game recently, and I just love that you have these attributes that let you switch a one to a six or re-roll the dice or add or subtract some number from the dice and you can do a lot of different things to not just hey i hope i roll all sixes but hey I, i could use a three this time because of this and this and and i just think those games are a lot of fun where you're you're still rolling the dice and you get that that fun feel but you're not angry at the end of the game oh i just never rolled the right thing yeah totally i i played some games recently that that kind of tried to include
0: dice mani- manipulation. One of them was the Rajas for the Ganges, Right, and But I was kind of disappointed with it because it, it didn't quite use it to its fullest uh,
1: potential. Whereas games like uh, Roll for the Galaxy, have you tried that one before? No, I, that one's been on my high top of my to play list, but I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, that is that is a killer dice manipulation engine builder game. There's
0: just oh, That's what it's all about, the bread and butter um so that's a good good pick my number three is Reiner Knizia which he is my favorite designer I own I think about 15 of his games now which is kind of crazy to realize when I went through and counted them and the reason he's my favorite is well it kind of helps that I've been sticking to his cream of the crop he's made over 600 games I know a lot of them are stinkers or just don't don't uh, quite stick with everybody Um, but when you're when you're putting out that kind of output of course they're not all going to be amazing but the fact that he's put out so many amazing ones is still super impressive most recent one being Babylonia from 2019 Um, if you've ever played samurai or through the desert it's kind of uh, very similar to those but it has its own uh, flavor as well in that like each tile you place on the board, which they're these nice wooden tiles, has this incredible ripple effect that sometimes you don't realize till later on. You're like, oh, my gosh, they've been building up this, this secret dynasty of tiles over there. And now they're about to, to make this huge play with, um, you know, these subtle decisions along the way. Um, Tigers and Euphrates is another favorite. And My City is one that my wife and I have been playing. And it defied the odds as a legacy game, which can be cumbersome, in my opinion, Uh, legacy games over time as far as like continue to set them up and add more layers um and it's kind of a solitaire game which in my opinion can those can run out of steam pretty quickly but it's we've played it uh at least 10 times now and it's still freaking amazing so reiner is killing it with his designs and he's another one that i want to go to eventually as a future publisher and say hey i want to make one of your games
1: (laughs) even simple games like the game llama that came out in 2019 have you played my family got that game yeah yeah it's just it's a simple card game it's it's about as simple as they come you just have seven different numbered cards and you're just kind of adding or subtracting numbers basically but it's just a very fun fresh game and my family has played that one over and over again so i just appreciate that someone can make a game like tigers and euphrates that's a pretty intense game and then also go to a game like Llama and make something that's just a, a quick family card game.
0: Totally. I think that's that's kind of my personal sweet spot, even though I, you know, I love like Cole Worley's designs and stuff. And those are some of my favorites in Martin Wallace. Um, to have like a very simple to teach um, easy rules game, but that just has a lot of strategic depth to it. And over time, as you play it again and again, you, you get better and better at it. And there's just more layers than then initially meets the eye that's kind of classic kinesia right there so man you're tempting me with llama now that one's like i've kept it in the corner of my eye like man that would be a fun one to play with family and you uh kind of reaffirm that there
1: <laughs> all right well my number two is i love when a game involves players when it's not their turn uh, most recently i just got my brother for christmas the game quicks which is just a, a short little dice, basically a roll and write game. I think it's it's like the, the little sibling to That's So Clever, um, which I actually haven't played. So Nick, you'll have to let me know for sure. But I just love you roll some dice. Um, you'll roll different colored dice. Two of them are white. And each turn, every player can choose whether to write or not write down these white colored dice. And then the active player gets to do more. But it just keeps everyone involved so when it's not your turn, you're not just sitting there for 10 minutes waiting for your next turn. You're not bored. You're paying attention the entire game and you're involved because you can do something even when it's not your turn. And I love that.
0: Totally. Um, that was actually another reason why, like I mentioned, the Raj's uh, roll and rack game didn't work as well for me because it has a little bit of like, you know, one person rolls all the dice and they take one and then block out another one. And then everybody else gets one that's left over but I felt, I just feel like that's so clever. Does that kind of a similar thing even better. Um, and so I agree either like a game with really short downtime or one that makes the most of its downtime where it's like, I am super interested in what you're doing on your turn. Cause that affects me in so many interesting ways. And I have yeah. to strategize around that or where it's like, whatever you decide to do gives me an action and an opportunity to take or a bonus to get in the meantime while I'm waiting for my turn to come around. That's a good way to, you know, make downtime fresh. Yeah. Which is actually another uh, shameless plug podcast or blog episode that you can find at BytewingGames.com. One of the tabletop tastes I go into and give examples of of good downtime, bad time, downtime, and why I feel that's kind of one of my personal preferences in board games, keeping it fresh. Uh, my number two of the hot, Ten currently of all board gaming is actually the king's dilemma uh this was a runner-up i guess a, a candidate for the kinder de jars award i don't know if i pronounced that right but this is a really interesting legacy slash negotiation slash bidding game um and when i first heard about it this this one i feel like reviewers kind of did it a disservice in trying to not be spoilery with this game because it seemed like every time I watched a review of this game, they they never really showed me enough to, to for me to understand like how does it actually play or what does it actually feel like to play. They more just kind of talk around what happens in the game to avoid spoilers because it's very story driven. And so it's understandable why they did that. But um Shut Up and Sit Down and had a great review that kind of lit the spark for me where I realized like oh this is my kind of game. I love negotiation. Um, this one gives you incentives. It's kind of like, it's got a little tug of war track with um, all these different aspects of the kingdom that you're, you're helping the king run as his council. Um, and you make, uh, you you're encounter these dilemma cards and uh, players have to vote I or nay. And you you get hints as like what kind of repercussions I will have as opposed to nay. Um, and so there's there's kind of this role-playing Um, flavor to it but then a really interesting bidding mechanism where when you vote iron a with a certain amount of power from secret power from that comes from behind your shield onto your iron a or pass card then um the the result that happens is always interesting and, and there's a ripple effect throughout the game and it's this story has branching paths so if we choose i and we flip the card to the I side we read the result but then we open a different envelope which sends the story in a different direction. So there's like dozens of envelopes in the game that you won't even touch because uh, your group made very specific decisions. So it's just been a a really addicting game to play. One I'd highly recommend, but it really, you got to play with five people (laughs) like most people recommend. So it's kind of limiting in that way.
1: Yeah, the main reason I hate talking to you is I always walk away with another 10 games that I need to try out. (laughs) Not enough time and too many games. Put that on my list. Yeah. All right, well, numero uno for me. Um, The one game that I've recently gotten, probably in the last six months, and every single person I've shown it to has been like, where can I buy this game? Is the game QE. Oh, nice. I just think that game, and I got that recommendation from you, Nick. I was like, I should try this game out. And it has been a hit everyone loves it it's such a simple game that even my friends who don't play games have fallen in love i love it because it's an auctioning game you're bailing out these companies in the 2008 financial crisis but the thing that to me is so unique about it is there's no limit to the money you can spend and every time i tell people that they get this look in their eyes they're like (laughs) i will i can spend money i will win until i tell them the person who spends the most money automatically loses the game and then all of a sudden you're like wait a second and i just love i I honestly love explaining the game to people because i feel like i can see their excitement we're like i have unlimited money and then you put that little caveat on it and they're like shoot so i need to spend the second most money and anyway the game is just a lot of fun um and like i said every single person that i've shown it to has just instantly fallen in love with it and i just think it's an excellent game
0: that's that's a great choice. I love QE. And that's interesting that you say everyone's loved it. Cause I feel like it's been a little bit more polarizing with the people I've introduced it to. Like nobody's nobody's hated it, but they're also kind of like in some ways put off by it because they're like, what is this game? <laughs> like you can bid anything you want. Like what this is ridiculous. But I, I I don't know if that's because of the way that I play it. Like I I don't know if I've even won this game yet but I have so much fun just pulling the strings and manipulating other people. Cause I always start out or typically I start out bidding way too much early on and I keep winning stuff or like midway through the game. I just start bidding way too much and winning multiple things in a row. And people are like, Oh my gosh, like I'm never going to win anything. (laughs) And, (laughs) and then, and like each of them gets a chance to see how much I bid. And then as soon as like, I've kind of got their attention with that, I pump the brakes and back off completely. And then they all start bidding even more than what I was being. <laughs> and so I get them to just way overspend me. And then I just hope that I won enough points in the process. But I just
1: love that you can mess with other people and, and get them to, to do what you want in some ways. And I think I do kind of like that, too. I feel like it's almost a, a game within a game where I'm like, all right, let's see what I can get people to do. And let's bid zero to start off and see what everyone else does if they lose their minds. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> So good. Yeah, good choice. And yeah,
0: and unfortunately, it's a little bit harder to find because, but understandably, it's published by boardgametables.com. And so they keep it in-house their sales um, to draw people to their website and where they make board game tables as well, you can get shipped to you. But they do make some great games. And so it's, I think it's worth ordering and having shipped from them. Um, Great choice. So my number one is a game that I have only played once. And that was all I needed to know. Like, this is a top 10 game for me. This was amazing. Just mind-blowingly good. It was Sidereal Confluence Remastered Edition. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Chinatown. And I, I like negotiation games. Um, and Chinatown and Sidereal Confluence are fairly similar in that uh, people trade at the same time. They acquire things and kind of start down unique paths. And then they... They develop this hunger, this craving for more of those things. And um, each round, you don't always start out with what you want, but you look over what other people have and you think to yourself, I need to get that from them. And I will do whatever it takes um, to convince them to trade that to me. And Sidereal, sidereal Confluence is, is more like Chinatown is great to teach anybody. I've taught people who hate um, learning games, uh, <laughs> anything with rules, and they start complaining, you know, outside of like Uno. and And phase 10 and and games that just drive me bonkers, but I taught them Chinatown and they loved it. So I'd recommend that to anybody who's looking for a good negotiation game. Sidereal Confluence is more for your gamer type because it's got a lot more rules up front um, and it's longer but um so satisfying and when you look at it it's just like it's just a bunch of cubes that you're converting into bigger or different color cubes how can that be fun but it's, <laughs> it's honestly something you have to play to believe um how satisfying it is because over time you, you just have these incredible converters and engines revving and um just a highly satisfying game to play so i'm, I'm dying to get that to the table again yeah that sounds really awesome um and speaking of negotiation games, this, this is a good transition. That was our hot 10, right? We covered them all? That was it. There you go. There you have it. Our current hot 10 things that we are, are most excited about in the board game industry. Um, but speaking of negotiation games, that's a, kind of a nice transition into uh, our final topic here, which is what we as Bitewing Games are planning to do. Um, going, moving forward. Now, we have this weekly podcast uh, that goes along with the weekly blog. Kyle uh, is a very busy man, but he puts up very slick videos when he can, um, kind of reviews for games, um, which are very helpful. So, we have those things going on, but our, our long game here is to put out some games that, that hopefully many of you will be able to enjoy. And the first one on the menu is known as Social Grooming. Um, the reason it ties into negotiation is because it is a ne- negotiation game. It's like if you mixed Chinatown with Hanabi. Hanabi is a pretty popular cooperative game where players hold up these um, firework cards, but you hold them up facing away from yourself. So you can't see what's in your own hand and you can't see what's in everybody else's hands. It's kind of an interesting dynamic. And so I thought man, what if there was a, a negotiation game where you can't see what you're trading to other people, but you can see what everybody else is trying to trade away. And thus social grooming was born. This is going to be a filler game with a wide player count from three to 10. We actually just played it earlier today, play tested it again. Um, and with just three of us, my my wife and my mom is here getting ready for the baby on the way. But um, it works great at, a wide range of accounts and we're very excited we've got the artwork coming in from Paul Williams um, and he he did our logo which is on the podcast as well as um, our social media pages but he does really whimsical funny artwork and I think he, he's going to be perfect for a social grooming art so we're planning to kickstart this in the middle of 2021 and you've played this one as well Kyle
1: yeah, I've played with a few people, and and every time I show it to them, I say, "So, what what feedback do you have?" And they're they really only thing that I've heard much about is, "Oh, I just you need the artwork for it." I'm like, "I know, I only I only have note cards right now, but the artwork's coming." But but it, it is a, a very fun, fast, lighthearted game where you're just kind of sitting around the table, laughing with each other, and, and just trying to trade these cards that you don't know if it's good or bad. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those games where, um, you know, we're going
0: on to Kickstarter with a small filler card game um, which is, is it's a tough ask um, it's kind of a party style game but it works at you know lower counts as well but it, it doesn't have miniatures it doesn't have an immediate obvious hook to it and so it's gonna be it's gonna be we're not expecting huge things from it but we're going all in on the art I've, I've picked somebody um, who we, we think will do a great job with it to really bring that flavor into to the fun that the gameplay provides so keep an eye out for that we'll be teasing out artwork for it very soon maybe even before this podcast is published we'll see how things shake out Um, but that will be our first project social grooming expect a campaign hopefully by mid 2021 our second game in the pipeline is con artist now this has been a finalist for the Cardboard Edison design award. It was a finalist for the pitch Project, um, which is a project that had hundreds of submissions, um, to this vetting team that narrowed it down to 50 and allowed those 50 to pitch it to publishers. Cause I was of the mindset that like, Hey, if there's a publisher who's going to do a good job of this design and wants to take it away, then great. I don't have to do all this work to get it made. Um, and there were some big publishers interested in it. Um, but they're they're kind of I, I don't want to name specifics, but they're kind of the caliber of Walmart style brands that they want it so simple that con artists couldn't, you know, I guess hit that mark. It's just a you know, it's a four-page rule book right now. But this is a uh, constellation drawing game with social deduction where one person has to blend in with everybody else. And we also feature in it a telescope-like component where each player takes a turn looking into the telescope, but they put their own personal screen in first. And one of those screens, although it looks like the rest, secretly blocks out the topic of the round. So while everybody sees the constellation that was drawn by the chief astrologist, one person does not see the actual topic that relates to that constellation. And then everybody goes off and draws their own constellation, and they come back together and they have to, uh, the con artist, the person who didn't know what was going on, they find out. Uh, what the topic was, it's announced publicly. And then they look down at their constellation and think, oh, shoot, I was way off with my interpretation of that original constellation. And uh, now everybody gives their own excuse for why they drew their pitiful, um, abstract, usually poor looking constellation. And it's just a, it's a really funny game um, that works at a wide player count. And so I'm really excited to get this one out and show it to more people, but it's a little bit more complicated with the telescope, you know, 3D printed components so it's it's our second in line to publish
1: and if you didn't catch from his explanation there it does have a a great play on words that almost makes me smirk every time i hear it. the con artist (laughs) you're not only drawing constellations but you are also trying to con other players as you uh, try to convince them why you drew what you drew even though you are the con artist Um, and i i really like that and i think this is one of the games that's played above the table not just on the table where you're really interacting with players you're, you're making memories and you're laughing with each other and it's not just about what cards you have out but about about the like relationships or memories you're forming which is really really awesome
0: yeah and I've, I've had some people you know i explain it to them or they see the pitch and they're like it sounds a bit like a fake artist goes to new york and i'm like you got it um it's actually that was actually part of the inspiration for this game early on when we're like let's make a constellation game um but the the key ways in which it's different is um a fake artist people go around and draw something. And then at the end you vote, but there's no, uh, there's no space to really discuss or give away too much. Cause you don't want the uh, the fake artist to suddenly know like, Oh, that's the topic where a con artist just totally hones in on like, you have to, you have to stand up for what you drew and justify it. And if you're the con artist, you are scrambling to provide a believable excuse for how your constellation relates to the topic of the round and people's uh, explanations are hilarious. And sometimes, they come up with something so clever that there's also an aspect where people can vote for which constellation they thought was the best of the round. And sometimes the con artist will get the best of show votes. (laughs) (laughs) And that is just like the most satisfying feeling in the world. So I promise it's, it's, it's similar. If I think if you like a fake artist goes to New York, then you will like this game and they're different enough with the telescope and the emphasis on discussion that it it should catch your eye and keep an eye out for that as well. Hopefully by late 2021 or early 2022, we'll be ready to rumble with that one on Kickstarter. So uh, the last one that we currently have in the pipeline is Balloon Jockeys. And this is a hot air balloon game, uh, board game, strategy game that will feature, the current plan is if you're aware of Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion with the scenario book, um, spiral bound book, It's going to feature a bunch of different scenarios that are based on real life hot air balloon competitions. And um, this is another one like the Constellation game where I was just like, you know, there's not, I don't know of any hot air balloon games out there. That's a really interesting topic to me. Kind of like the birds of wingspan. It's just like, you know, widely appreciated, but maybe underappreciated in the board game industry. And when I did the research, I realized, oh my gosh, there are these professional pilots that do these competitions where they're not um, steering it like an airplane or a helicopter, but they're using the wind and simply adjusting their altitude to steer their balloons and fly over these pinpoint targets. And apparently, they, they drop them often within like centimeters of each other. <laughs> um, and the objectives are, you know, there's various objectives in the game. So, this is going to be a game that features many different um, competition scenarios, very easy to set up um a little flavor aspect of trick taking and that is our third one in the pipeline and Ian O'Toole is my my top pick for the uh art and graphic design of that one
1: and the thing that i love about that game from the from the few times i've played it with nick is mostly when i found out that lots of the competitions were based off of actual competitions that they do made me appreciate it more i'm like oh like i'm actually in some ways like i'm learning about what they do because i don't know anything about air balloons besides they look awesome and you see them in the sky and you wish you could go in one but actually like seeing it and seeing some of the competitions i was like oh this is really cool to see that these are actually the things they're doing and i don't want to say it's educational but it, it is like more realistic where i'm like oh that's a, a really neat thing um and the other thing i'll mention is it does have the trick-taking aspect and i'm not always a huge fan of trick-taking games because sometimes i feel like it's like oh you you draw a card someone wins a trick you draw another card someone wins a trick but this one isn't really a like there is trick taking in it, but there's so many other things that you're doing that it doesn't feel like another trick taking game.
0: Yeah, that was that was more a uh, mechanism that worked best for the feeling I was going for of like, you know, the pilots don't have complete control over the direction they go. They're victim to the wind and they actually release smaller balloons into the sky that go above them or they drop off tufts of hair or uh, shaving cream off the side of their basket and they watch where do these things blow so they know how is the wind blowing how quickly above and below them and they adjust their altitude accordingly to get to where they want to go and so that was kind of an interesting design challenge to make a game where you don't have complete control over where you go but you have enough control that is very satisfying and challenging and uh, I feel like we've hit that sweet spot with the core rules and now we're working on tons of different scenarios we have over 12 at this point um that we've been tinkering with um to make for a really satisfying and diverse experience so we're really excited about that one as well um as far as just other random you know these are more long-term goals and plans i meant i mentioned both of them reiner knizia and paolo mori those are two designers i'd love to reach out to and uh either you know refresh and revitalize one of their old classic designs or see what new things they have up their sleeve um the, the closer we get to publishing our first game, the more I get excited about, you know, even branching out from our own designs and uh, seeing what else is out there that, that we fall in love with and that we can make the most of and share with other people. Um, but I know, Kyle, you've been super busy recently and tinkering with your own designs as well. So um,
1: hopefully you get one down the pipeline that we can can show
0: to people as well.
1: I'm hoping so as well. There's there's a lot of great ideas out there and I'm hoping one can come for to fruition. <laughs> I'm
0: sure it will. Um, sometimes you just have to wait for inspiration to strike or, or just get through a bunch of crappy ideas before you find a good one. But um, that should wrap up our podcast for today. Hopefully this has been a great overview for Bite Wing Games, what we are about, what we love, and what we're excited to share and bring to all of you. And uh, we would love your feedback. Again, we're just a couple of dentists who happen to love board games and tabletop gaming enough to, to put out this content, but also to explore the creative side of it and, and to kind of leave our own mark and our own, I guess, form of, of a thank you and, and uh, hopefully a gift to the gaming hobby as, as we publish and, and design our own games. So we appreciate all of you who have tuned in. Um, Kyle, do you have any last thoughts? uh just go out there and get playing some games heck yes i just got i'm very lucky i work at a hospital right now i just got the covid 19 vaccine the first dose of it today uh still got a sore arm but it's a uh it's an exciting um uptick i think and a good sign for 2021 hopefully we'll all be back together playing games soon we're excited to share some big ones with you next year. So keep following along. We have a website by games.com where you can tune into, uh, and sign up for a monthly newsletter. We promise we won't spam you. Um, we'll just give you a nice summary of our content and keep you briefly up to date on our latest design and publishing endeavors. Um, we also have social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and this podcast and so please do give us feedback we'd love to hear from you we love to hear what games you love and and how you disagree with our our personal opinions Love to discuss games and explore new options and if you have suggestions for us we are explorers in this hobby and we will add it to our list and uh, probably get real excited about it and hope we have time to to, uh, check it out soon Um, but thanks again and we look forward to meeting with you next time